to the Skeptic Wire. kind of uh, I, I sound noticed that thing. it was yeah. it was it was kind of melodious mellifluous sure we'll go with that one this is the skeptic choir and it is episode 161 coming to you being recorded on the 7th of may 2014 you'll probably get it around the 9th of may who knows just depends on when gray gets done recording it hey i've been pretty damn good about releasing them every friday morning i have to give you that credit you are pretty awesome about that um, Even when we have dire emergencies and having coast canceling at the last minute. Yes, and I apologize for that. That was um, definitely life gets in the way, nothing we can do about it. Let's yeah. let's find a way. Right. And, um, and thanks again for Jamie Carr for filling in with us last week. Yeah, I cannot thank her enough. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm sure that Gary would say thank you if he was here, but <laughs> sadly... We still have an empty chair. Yeah. I, I can't remember which it is this week, if it's still grad school or if it's work stuff. I think or... it's both. I, I, yeah. I really think that it's both. Um, I know that some of his work stuff is going to clear up by the 18th. Or, well, hold on. Let me say this. We hope. It has, <laughs> no, it has to clear up by the 18th. <laughs> so. Well, it, just Gary with this, all the work and the grad school stuff and all the other stuff that he's had to do over the last year or so. He's just kind of gotten this like wild-eyed look in his eye that I just I'm not asking anymore. It's just Gary's busy. Just let's leave it at that. And <laughs> I blame the coffee. Yeah, it's 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 kind of like you don't want to tickle a sleeping dragon kind of thing. Yes, because thou art crunchy and tastes good with ketchup. Exactly. Well, as I'm sure you guys discussed, I was actually out of town on a family emergency. Everything is cool. Everything is fine. But I will tell you, I seriously had the weirdest strangest week that okay. i was gone first off i get a call about this family emergency and i'm on a plane six hours later yes as so, is appropriate right so my plane ride out started out great because if you guys are not familiar with san antonio airport it is a bitch to get through security <laughs> I, especially because they're doing construction now right but I got the TSA pre-checked lotto, and I mean, five minutes in, out, through security, didn't have to take off my shoes, didn't have to remove my laptop. There's this thing. Every once in a while, your ticket will say TSA pre-check. Hmm. And if you have that on there, it's a new thing. You don't get scanned, but you still have to go through the metal. It's kind of like it was pre-9-11. Right. Reasonable. So very basic. <laughs> in and out of security, bada boom, bada bing. Really great. I get on my first flight. The woman sitting next to me was is... making harpo noises like that. No. Oh, okay. I'm assuming that she was Basque, like the region of Spain, and was a lot of turbulence. And first, it was a lot of "Oh dios mío, oh dios mío, oh dios mío," <laughs> then followed by "Nosotros los muertos, nosotros los muertos." We're going to die. Oh, oh, that's always <laughs> We're good. We're the dead. <laughs> so, and then she decided to cling on me. Wow, that's 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 really um, familiar for a stranger. Right. But she was also like 237 years old. 
So I should not use that technique if I have a pretty girl sitting next to me on my next plane no. flight. So even if I do it in Spanish, yeah, okay. So get Good through that one. I'm in Atlanta. I change planes because I'm going to BWI. The flight from Atlanta to BWI. The guy sitting next to me. <laughs> I would say late forties. Okay. Hair so greasy. You could see it. Not one, not two, not three, four septum rings in his nose. <laughs> Tattoos everywhere. Wearing a Captain America shirt. That's about four sizes too small. And the only thing that I can describe his pants are Naga Hyde sweatpants. They were made out of some faux leather, but they had the little band of elastic around the, the ankles. What a bizarre outfit. <laughs> And it was a lot of, hey girl, hey girl, hey girl. And I'm just like, I'm married, leave me alone. <laughs> it's a little on the flattering side no, for like no, five seconds. But, not even that, yeah. like maybe 0.37 seconds. Yeah. So it was fine. Went up Moral of the story, wear your wedding band more often, Donna. Yes. <laughs> so while we were there on Sunday... I went with my sister because my sister helps run what they call Maryland Sheep and Wool. And it's this huge thing with sheep and fiber artists and, and chefs yeah. and all of this. Shit. And it's all based around sheep. Apparently it goes back like hundreds of years. And it's when people would bring their, their sheep to like a central place like once or twice a year to, like to a sell stuff. Like a county fair kind right. of thing. Imagine, but imagine a county fair for the Amish mafia. <laughs> that is all I have to say. So, because I'm there with my sister, and my sister's kind of big in that world, apparently, people would come up and talk to me like I knew what was going on. <laughs> and this one little old lady, I'm just, I'm just going to call her Mabel. Mabel comes up to me, and she's talking about this Lincoln. And how it was $4,000. So it was a great deal. And some other bitty outbidder, and she was so pissed, she was ready to cut the bitch. And I'm not kidding. That's what she said. <laughs> now, I'm thinking Lincoln Continental. She was trying to buy a car. No, apparently a Lincoln is a sheep. Okay. So I spent the whole weekend in anthropologist mode going, wow, these people are fucked up. <laughs> because, I mean, it was just a whole new world. It was really, really crazy. But like I said, if you're going to cut somebody over a sheep, it's a little strange. Yes. And the thing is, is that she wasn't the only one like that. I guess if you're going to such a specific festival, one, I guess they're going to assume you know why you're going. Kind of like if you go to a skeptics conference, people are going to kind of assume that you've, you've read some of the blogs, they, you, that you're you into the thing. Don't believe in Bigfoot? Yeah, that sort of thing. In addition to being specialized, I guess if you're going to... A conference all about something really old like that, you're going to be a little on the nutsy side. I mean, yes. I like my friends that go to Ren Fair stuff, but some of them are a little on the odd side. Right. And so, I mean, I just, like I said, I went into anthropology. Hold on, mode. hold on. For letters, Greg at Skeptic Wire. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know of at least one listener who has posted on Facebook stuff about Ren Fair outfits. So. Well, I'm sure my sister will be emailing me. <laughs> And I'm not giving out my private email, so, because she's going to be like, eh. But like I said, it was just, it was really interesting how kind of involved 
yeah. some of these people were. And like I said, I mean, when you've got a little old lady who easily pushing 85, yeah. threatening to cut the bitch. Well, I mean, the, I mean, when you've got these big things that get in, people get into, whether it's skepticism or religion or sheep shearing or something, it says a lot about your identity. Yeah. So that's why whenever we criticize, like, no, there's no evidence for Bigfoot, people take it seriously and take it personally, sorry. Yeah. And it's an attack on their identity so that she couldn't get that one sheep that she had her heart <laughs> set on. That she believed, like, it's it's like you believe, like, the teenager who believes if they just wear the right type of sneakers, they're going to be instantly popular in school. So yeah. they tie a lot of their self-worth to that, and if they don't get it, it comes as a crushing huge blow, and then, basically, my old favorite cognitive dissonance sets in, so you must think that the other person is an evil, horrible bitch who deserves to die. Right. But I did get funnel cake, so I'm kind of oh, happy. good. So you that's know. a... <laughs> I'm all about the food. It was a, a, a stressed out but great trip. Coming home, I fell asleep in the Atlanta airport, missed my flight to San Antonio. <gasps> so, so you're not really Donna. No. You're just Donna's ghost. Donna's still in the Atlanta airport. But apparently, falling asleep and missing your connection is actually a fairly common thing. The very nice young woman at the gate because like my my plane had taken off and i, I kind of looked and i was like okay there's another flight going to san antonio just a couple of gates down so i went down there and she's all like ah sweetie i got gotcha. you don't worry about <laughs> it she's all like it happens all the time they didn't try to wake you and i was like i think i was snoring pretty hard <laughs> but this was after sitting down in a seat there's nobody sitting around me the whole strip there's like 10 chairs empty so the one next to me was the end. It was empty. And then the other eight were empty. And two guys just plopped down in the seats on either side of me. I'm all like, creepy much? Yeah. Yeah. It's like that movie theater experience where you go and it's a movie that's been out for a while and you go to sit in the theater. You know there's not going to be a lot of people there. You know, maybe five or six. And somebody has to sit right next to you when there's 250 other seats. Kind of like when when I was a kid, my family, we went to see the GoBots movie. I think it was even the opening weekend. We were the only three people in the theater. I love it when that happens. <laughs> well, I guess in a theater, you could kind of devil's advocate say that some people really believe there is like an acoustic sweet spot. But, okay, maybe you sit one row back or one row up. Or, so, or just to the side, one row back or something. So leave yeah. a little bit of personal space. It's it's the urinal rule. I was going to say, the urinal rule. If there is enough room to leave a seat between you and a stranger, you leave the seat open. Yeah. But if it's opening night of, say, a big comic book movie, take the damn seat because everything else is going to get filled up. But if it's not, if there's room, yeah, leave the seat open. It's like leaving the seat down. Yeah, it's... Well, okay, I I learned with my ex-fiance, I don't just leave the seat down, I leave the seat and the top down. So if I have to put something down when I'm done, she has to put at least something up to do her business, so that's fair. I'll give you that. But the, the thing about the leaving space and seats and stuff like that, I had a weird experience with that when I lived in Chicago. Now, granted, I lived on the south side of Chicago, so I was one of the few pale faces in that entire area. But when I got on the train once, basically the entire car was 
almost exactly half full where every pair of seats, there was one person in each pair. Right. So I moved towards the middle of the car and just sat in the other seat next to someone else because there were no empty seats. I, I keep to that rule myself, but there were no empty seats. So I sat in the, in the seat. This person in the next seat happened to be a guy and it wasn't because I was white. I think it's because I was a male sitting down to him. Like he felt uncomfortable, threatened in his sexuality or something and had to get up and move. And yes, I was on the South side of Chicago and yes, I'm the only pale face on the car. But, um, I, I actually did say, was it something I said? <laughs> because what you, you kind of have to call out those kind of like, what the fuck moments. So you sit down to someone and they get up and move. Yeah. And, or you're in a completely empty section in an airport. You're the only one there. And the only other people who come by come and sit right next to you. you I, I know it may not be, it depends on the context. Sometimes you can call it out. Sometimes you can't, but you really want to say, hello, what the fuck? We yes. all see what's going on here. It was just, what the hell were you thinking? Right. It was just very, very weird. But that was pretty much the basics of, of my week. Like I said, very, very interesting. Mm -hmm. FYI, my family emergency has been resolved. Everything is great. And oh, we can move on to birthdays. Yes. Unless you had something to add. Just one gonna... little thing that I, I realized late in the week. I think I texted him, but I realized, well, you had to leave, but Teacher Mike was still in town. Yes. But I was like... I. I I was like, well, I should ask him if he can sub for Donna. But um, he was probably busy doing work and or watching all the children. Right. Unfortunately, Teacher Mike works on Wednesday nights. Ah. So that would be... No. I did ask some of the other people who have been on our show before. But since it was so last minute, none of them could do it. But fortunately, we have lots well, of friends like in I the said, skeptic world. Thank you, Jamie. I know that it was last minute and I really appreciate it. And I can tell you that my family in Maryland appreciates it also. Awesome. I got one other thing to add. Maryland drivers, extremely polite. Okay, I'll take San that. San Antonio drivers got Fucking back, insane. <laughs> got in my car, driving home after this trip, How got many cut off four times. Yeah. Yep. I'm all like, son of a bitch. <laughs> yep. Was a Everybody's pissed. trying to kill you in this town. So I just want to say that thank you, Maryland drivers. Thank you for being <laughs> kind and courteous and doing the obligatory courtesy wave when you know you've let somebody in yeah thank you very much we're here in texas they cut you off then give you the courtesy middle finger yes i guess harple wants to know who the birthday is well that's very philosophical of you harpo that you want to know who the birthday is because we have a philosopher as our birthday today born on the new calendar apparently because that was something specified in in the article was born may 7th uh 1711 passed away august 25th 1776 so uh went to age 65 for that time was probably a long and fruitful life any guesses so far so you've got 1700s 1700s philosopher philosopher 65 Nope. Scottish? Scottish. Mm. 
very into empiricism and skepticism, sometimes skepticism with a K, sometimes skepticism with a C, and I'm not talking about the podcast, though I guess that's technically skeptics with a K, but I'm not talking about them. Um... Wrote a very, very, very in-depth six-volume history of England. David Hume. Yes. Because he's also an anthropologist. Ah, okay. That's well, why it was like, ta-da! Yeah, I didn't get so much of the anthropology from the summary in the Wikipedia article, but definitely big on philosophy because he wrote several books and pamphlets and essays, things like A Treatise of Human Nature, essays, moral and political, that sort of stuff. Like I said, he wrote a six-volume, I think it was, History of England, from the invasion of Julius Caesar to the revolution of 1688. So I guess not the total history of England, but up until about his time. He was philosophically, I'm not sure how to classify him because I personally never took a philosophy course and I've never really gotten into philosophy just because of like a personal bias of it's a lot of semantic arguments. Um, the only philosophy classes that I ever took were ethics classes. Right. Yeah. Which, and, well, ethics and argumentation. Right. And he, he was big on talking about all the standard things, ethics, free will, the self, and how to, how to argue, that kind of stuff. Um, he did also write a lot of stuff about religion. He was, it's, it's hard to classify where he was, but I would kind of group him with the American founding fathers of being kind of still religious of their day, but being kind of deistic and non-traditional. He was actually on several occasions accused of, I, I don't know if the word's heresy or just, or I don't think it went to the, the side of blasphemy, but apparently there was some positions at the University of Edinburgh, sorry, Edinburgh, mm -hmm. that he applied for that he never got because he was essentially accused of being an atheist. Okay. But he did seem to say... Um, there were some quotes of him, I, I don't have them off offhand, but essentially saying you, you can't have like reason without a little bit of faith, but he argued against the argument from creation and kind of traditional religious stuff. He talked a lot of kind of the same kind of Protestant Reformation talk against the idolatry of the Catholic Church and stuff like that. Okay. But Obviously, one of the big things is he's very into empiricism and logic and skepticism, saying the idea of, like, we can't really say that anything is, I don't know, true is the right word, but, uh, you know, we can't say anything is for sure unless we have evidence of our own eyes that can be legitimately proven to someone else. You know, I can prove you, here's the evidence, here's A, B, and C, that sort of stuff. So, um, pretty good for scientific rational thought and also skepticism of religion while not going all the way to atheism but still i i think if he was alive today he would probably be an atheist with that kind of mindset of questioning that just because something is tradition does not mean that means it's correct that doesn't mean it's a, a moral we could follow doesn't mean it's evidence for something um, we'll get more into tradition later because that's pissing me off, but that's something else entirely. But yeah, David Hume, born today, May 7th, 1711, and um, he did pass away when he was 65, but uh, apparently he never married. I have no idea if there are any rumors about him, about why he didn't marry or not, but 
um, he passed away apparently from cancer. So yeah. all all I know is I, I've had to read a lot of his work, his anthropology work. Mm -hmm. Obviously, he should stick with philosophy. Is all I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> not a lot of his works seem to be tremendously popular of his day. It's not really popular now either. Yeah, a lot of like always oh, too wordy or, or or just like it seems like he was an amateur philosopher almost. Yeah. Like, he, he applied for these positions, but it's not like he had a doctorate or I, I, I hesitate to say, like, he was he was he was completely amateur, but he was learned. He was more kind of self-taught. He seemed to th think that kind of teachers were useless. You could learn just as much from a book. Right. Kind of stuff. And maybe with that attitude, he didn't really learn how to self-edit and maybe craft his arguments to argue with people as opposed to just well this is what i think i'm gonna write it down and send it out in a book or a pamphlet right exactly so happy birthday david hume you still continue to drive college students insane <laughs> that's all i'm gonna yeah. add to that one we're gonna do a little bit of a callback tonight um because there was a recent article in on ksat.com which is one they, of our local news stations they may have also gotten like a little 30 minute like public interest spot on a tv segment i think oh okay whatever well because there's a video on the article that we'll post right. to the blog but there is a couple here who is claiming that camel's milk can help treat autism not just treat cure it cure essentially it. so this couple has five kids between the ages of one and 12 and they're all homeschooled red flag number one um, <laughs> one of the children has been diagnosed with autism. When they took him to a specialist, they were told that it was severe autism, that he would never improve, and he would likely need to be institutionalized. The, the way the parents described it, they said essentially when he was age three, it was a very sudden transition. He went blank. He is, his emotions went away and just like, boom, it was gone. Right. And the then, traditional, he got the MMR vaccine in the next day. Yeah, Except they, there's no mention of the MMR vaccine. Exactly. They I'm didn't really kind of happy about yeah, that. Yeah, but the article from this person over at KSAT, I can't remember who wrote it. Uh, Leslie, Leslie Mooton. Whatever. Whatever. Has no skepticism, no other side to this whatsoever. I mean, it's not even like some crappy history channel UFO documentary with 30 seconds of Michael Shermer or something. Right. It is just pure and utter credulity of the smelters credit much of this remarkable recovery to raw camel's milk. Not only is it camel's milk, it has to be the raw kind. They say three weeks after she, he started drinking it, he began to show a vast improvement. Okay. So many red flags with this. Right. The, the, the immediate, um, well, the immediate, Onset of symptoms. Yeah, because I, I seem to... I don't know everything about autism, of course. I'm just a programmer. I'm not a medical doctor. But it is something, essentially, that is there from a very, very early age. Right. You see developmental problems throughout. I, I have two nephews who are on the spectrum because autism is a spectrum disorder. You can have very, very mild cases. You can have very, very severe cases. Mm -hmm. I have two nephews who are kind of right in the middle could they be functioning better yes they just they need some help worse? along yeah yes now c i'm just gonna call him c 
for the longest time in my dealings with him, I really didn't talk to him because he didn't like to talk to people. Okay. He has developed enough coping skills and enough, I don't want to say treatment, but enough kind of way of doing things. He was very jokey. He was shook people's hand, which was a big deal for him. And in fact, I'm going to give him a shout out. See, I, I had a really annoying ringtone and it was the cast of South Park singing Heat of the Moment as my ringtone. Don't <laughs> judge me. I like it. And my phone was downstairs and the phone went off Monday morning and I was like, oh, I'll just, just let it go to voicemail. Three minutes later, I hear it going off again and I'm all like, God damn it. And I'm <laughs> rushing down the stairs to grab my phone. And there's my nephew playing it on YouTube and he goes, it ended at the best part. I wanted to hear the rest of it. Wink, <laughs> wink. And I'm all like, you son of a bitch. I got your number now. And we're you doing. You think he was like having a little fun yes, with you. Yes, he was, yeah. which is something that in C's lifetime, he never would have done before. Right. So it's. It shows a, a beginning of understanding of that social interaction of, oh, I can kind of have a little fun here. I can say this and it'll be taken as funny, not just literally. Yes. But with C, he always had problems. It wasn't just from the time that he was three. It was really from the time that he was two weeks old. Mm -hmm. He had problems with social interactions. So I have a really hard time with this. Boom. All of a sudden you have this child who is happy and playing with their mom and, mm -hmm. and being very socially interactive to sitting in the corner drooling yeah. visual that she gives. We have no idea with this child of the smelters. That's the couple in this story of what is the time between this apparent diagnosis by a team up in Austin, I think is what they say. And when they started with the raw camel milk thing and the three weeks he started getting better. Is this, they spent a year with this kid who was basically having these problems or was it, he started having these problems and within a month or two, they brought him up to a specialist and then within a few weeks with this raw milk, the, the timeline here, we just don't know because just sometimes kids have developmental problems. Either it's a normal thing, like just kids are at different levels or they actually have something going on that is not autism, but presents as, as, the, as the autism developmental problems. It's really hard to tell. And that's why things like Jenny McCarthy come around where they're, they assume their kid has autism, but later on when you have better information and see the progress of the kid, you see probably wasn't autistic. There was something else going on. Exactly. And that is what bothers me in this is that there is... The background needed to look at this story is just not there. Yeah. Like I said, they claim that camel's milk has helped him out, said it has to be raw. But here's another big kind of question that I have, because it's kind of stated at the bottom of the article and everything else. Mm -hmm. They run a holistic herbalist practice called right. Healing Provisions. And honestly, to me, when I started reading this and I got down to the Smelters now run a holistic medical practice in the Stone Oak area Huge called Healing red flag. I was yeah. all like, hmm, they help others with behavioral issues by creating individualized treatment plans to deal with everything from autism to autoimmune diseases. That, yeah, the, the idea that you are treating like MS 
with camel's milk. Right. Because well, previously in the article, they say they researched in regards to the camel's milk thing, and they noticed how magical it really is as a nutritional supplement. That's another huge red flag, skeptically, to say this is a magical cure-all. And in reading up on this, there was an article a couple of years ago that Oreck did over on Science-Based Medicine about this kind of raw camel's milk kind of cure. And everybody who spouts this is all on the spectrum of healing and holistic and natural supplements. And they really do treat it like it's a magical thing that will cure everything. Right. Again, everything that they say is a cure-all always treats asthma. And I hate that, having an asthma. <laughs> and, well, and, and, of course, autism and all these kind of things. Right. Well, they, 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 I can quote this here. They said, raw camel's milk is loaded with nanobodies, which are smaller than our antibodies. They can actually get into areas in the body to kill infections that our own antibodies can't get to. Have you Googled that? No. I didn't get a I chance just... to Google that. Google break! According to Wikipedia, when you type in nanobodies, it comes up as a single domain antibody, which is able to bind selectively to a specific antigen, a bunch of chemistry that I don't get, <laughs> and they are being researched for multiple pharmaceutical applications and have potential treatment use in coronary syndrome, cancer, and Alzheimer's disease. From the sound of this, it looks like it is a molecule that is able to specifically bind to one thing and one thing only. And then Not I, this bullshit. Not this magical cure-all. And that it maybe it just binds to it and kind of holds it. So it, whatever it binds to can't do anything else. Right. Or becomes more attractive to actual antibodies. So it's it, not like they're seek and destroy missiles based on just our 30 seconds researching this but apparently the smelters did a whole lot of research and i'm sure what they did is they went to being into healing healing provisions being their store that they went to other places like natural news and other holistic kind of things oh yeah who you have this echo chamber of well don't go to do to a doctor because it, they're all just trying to poison you and they won't spend any time with you or they're just trying to push pharmaceuticals. They're all about profit or something like that, where when you look on the services page for healing provisions, they mention that their first appointment, they schedule 90 minutes and they bill in 15 minute increments. And they're very helpful to make sure that you can we'll do everything. Okay. Yeah. Everything you can to bill to your insurance. That is a good thing that these holistic type people do in that they want to make sure that you have plenty of time to meet with the doctor. It's not five minutes in and out, but they're plenty about money and billing as well. Right. They also do have a small disclaimer at the bottom stating <laughs> that they are not designed to provide medical advice, diagnose, or be considered advice. Always discuss medical and personal issues with your own health provider. They say health provider, but they don't say doctor. Yes. But that is definitely kind of... I. Th I th in reading that ORAC article from a couple of years ago, I think the phrase he used was um, the quack Miranda warning. This is our catch-all of don't blame us if you die. Right. Because they got some weird things that they're pushing on well, the site. Well, you know, if you look at their resources, 
thehealthyhomeeconomist.com is one, livingwithout.com, westonaprice.org, rawmilk.org, yeah. localharvest.org. There's a lot of this what you eat is going to cure you. Mm-hmm. They list books like Adrenal Fatigue, the 21st Century Stress Syndrome, Breaking the Vicious Cycle, Gut and Psychology Syndrome, Smart Medicine for Healthier Living. You know, so this is super nutrition for your baby. Yeah. There's a lot of... There's some things about... We know that there's a higher incidence of gastrointestinal weirdness that goes on with autistic kids there is a correlation it's not exactly one-to-one like every autistic child has irritable bowel or anything like that but there's just a higher incidence but a lot of these natural healer type people assume that that means that you can cure autism right or any of its related things by ingesting one simple thing that will coat your intestine or something like that and i'm surprised they go, didn't really go into that that they went into this nanobody things like they get into your bloodstream if you actually look at their facebook it's even just i'm sorry it's even more wooey yeah anti-gmo probably anti-vax well it says congratulations chipotle ceo says we are virtually gmo free and they're all like back to a quote real food diet I'm sorry, McDonald's is real food. It is made out of actual food. May not be good for you. It's like the non-GMO salt that we saw last year. Right. Gluten sensitivity is another medical condition confirmed with children on the spectrum. Like I said, there is a correlation, but it's not a 100% correlation with you know. with things like gluten or just general sensitivity issues with, with the intestinal system. So it's a lot of taking cherry-picking what they want to hear and blowing that up as evidence. Well, this is the one that got me, is there's a... She links to a article on ethicalnag.org, and the NEJM, I guess New England Journal of Medicine editor, quote, no longer possible to believe much of clinical research published, end quote. Well, so, I, there uh, there have been articles that are really out there that there's a lot of false positives published nowadays. Right. But they take that to mean that all medical research, all Western medicine should be completely disbelieved. And that doesn't mean that it should be disbelieved. It means the system is not optimal. It's too fraught with human frailty. Right. Well, so an example, and as you go further into this article, you know, our favorite two words, big pharma. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's me, but anytime that I see the words big food, big pharma, big fill in a blank, I automatically go, huh, whoa, wait a minute. So I really can't trust these people with anything that they're really saying in regards to treatments and and everything else. I, you know, it's, it's hooey and hokum. Especially when you look on their website and they are promoting hyperbaric chamber rentals. Yes. Which the FDA just this week, there's an article on U.S. News that says the FDA warns about bogus autism treatments. This is one of those treatments that they're saying is there's no scientific evidence backing it. It's completely bogus. You should really probably shouldn't do it. 
fortunately with the hyperbaric chamber, there's probably not going to be any harm done. It's not like chelation. It's not like these bleach enemas and the shit that goes on with other treatments yeah. that are very untested and potentially harmful. Well, I, I would kind of devil's advocate to say that if you're saying that I am going to cure my child of autism with hyperbolic chambers or detox clay baths or a mineral solution or the other stuff that they list in this U.S. News article, if you're relying on that stuff, it's kind of like saying, well, I'm going to cure my cancer with these supplements and then your cancer gets worse and you die. Or if you're autistic, you say, well, I'm going to cure my child with raw camel's milk in a hyperbolic chamber and... What you really need, the only thing we know for sure that helps autistic children is intensive therapy and work therapy, play therapy, yeah. all that kind of stuff to rehabilitate the kid's mind so they learn how to interact and how to respond to emotions and faces. They can memorize what a happy face looks like right. and understand that that's a thing. So there, that is a danger because someone who would get left behind I mean, we were talking about with these uh, smelters that maybe this was some non-autistic condition, some developmental delay that the kid caught up with. Maybe while they were getting this raw milk treatment, they were paying more attention to the kid, trying to be more helpful and do kind of their own holistic version of rehabilitation therapy. therapy. And they were trying to say, no, this is how you respond. Come on, you know, help me read this. What do you say when you get something? Thank you. Okay. They were doing that kind of interaction. Whether or not the kid had autism or not, that was going to help. Right. So the fact that it's it's a causation correlation kind of problem with saying, well, we gave the raw milk. That is what cured it. it. We can't say definitively. And we had Dr. Allie on our show. She talked about the dangers of raw milk. Yes. There are significant dangers. And in fact, there's probably a new one because... And it is big in the news lately. <laughs> yeah, because camels are the source of this Middle Eastern respiratory syndrome virus. This is killing people. Yes. There's been about 400 or so cases that have all originated either from people living in Saudi Arabia or the neighboring countries or people who worked in Saudi Arabia and then traveled outside. And a good, like, 30% thereabouts have died. Right. They've been testing these camels, doing the nose swabs, doing the eye swabs. And there's a good percentage of them that actually have it, but they don't show any symptoms. So we can't just sit there and look at a camel and it's going, yeah. you know, it's not sounding like a, you know, 78-year-old man from Boca going, back in the day. <laughs> Yeah. I used to race. Yep. We can't tell that these camels are sick and passing along this disease. What I've actually found in, in reading up a little bit more on, on this subject, because I've heard about MERS, like I said, it's been in the news the last year or so, and I wasn't entirely sure what was going on with it. First of all, apparently MERS is very closely related to SARS, Yeah. which was a big problem in Southeast Asia, and that essentially started in... A certain kind of fruit bat or something that was in Southeast Asia. Trappers would go out and they would get this fruit bat that apparently SARS started out in. And they would basically trap the bats. And at markets, they would store them along other animals, including 
civets. I don't know what kind of animal that is. It's it's sort of I think it's a marsupial, and okay. I'm sure that our our listeners will correct me on this. All I know is that civet bean coffee, which is amazing, but the way that you get the civet bean coffee is the civets actually eat it, shit it out, and then it is used. Okay. To yeah. to grind and if that's but the same I have thing... to say this, I've had it. Mm-hmm. I won't tell you how much I paid for that fucking cup of coffee. <laughs> Something but in the enzymes. Coffee, yeah. I I. I am a coffee snob, and I found the older that I get, and this is just a complete aside, the older I get, the more food snobby I am. That shit is amazing. It's well worth that credit card purchase. So the important thing is that civets are not also bats. Right. So there are some other creature that is also stored in these markets, and it was found that people who were handling these civets or uh, handling them for selling or handling them for preparing them because they're a local delicacy or something, they were starting to get SARS as well. Right. It turns out that this MERS virus is kind of following a similar track because you said that the virus originated in the camels. Apparently what they found is this virus started out in Egyptian tomb bats. And the area of those Egyptian tomb bats overlaps the area where a lot of these camels are. So what happens is like the Asian bats were giving the civets the SARS, which humans picked up, and then somehow there was a little bit of a mutation, and it started going people to people in medical establishments. The same thing has happened here. This fruit bat MERS virus was being transferred to camels, and now everybody who's handling camels getting around their eyes or being sneezed on, like you said, they're doing eye and nose swabs. You get sneezed on by a camel, they have this MERS virus, you got it. Right. Because it's, it's apparently – the biggest problem with both SARS and MERS is that people who are working in healthcare facilities are really getting it very quickly. I mean sometimes it's mistakes in not taking off your mask properly, maybe not washing properly after you've taken off gloves and stuff like that. But there's a lot of people in the health industry in both those areas who are getting this. The worst part about this is because they're so similar, you see that SARS had, I don't know what, a 5 or 10% death rate, where MERS is a 30% death rate. Right. If this mutates either in a camel or a human, because apparently it's kind of it could be going back and forth with camel and humans, with all that transmission, if, yeah. it, if it mutates again and becomes even more communicable, we've got like a Stephen King's The Stand situation going right. on here. And additionally, they are looking into other forms of transmission, not just the sneezing. I'm and I'm going to butcher this guy's name. I'm going to <laughs> apologize now, but Abdul Aziz Alagheli from the King Saud University has stated that they are looking into exposure via camel milk and meat products as a potential human exposure way. Right. Sort of like with bovine spongiform encephalitis. That these, you know, this this transmission of, of eating that meat mm-hmm. or drinking that product developing into sort of a prion type disease, which is very, very serious. Um, Kortsfeld Yakov's disease, the human form of mad cow, mm-hmm. that disease is one of the nastiest. It makes cancer look like a very nice disease to have. Yeah. I, really I, I was thinking of more of along lines of salmonella. If you don't handle chicken correctly, 
if you don't boil it correctly, if, if you don't wash your hands and wash your cutting board or whatever, it's, it's mostly in you have to make sure that you are sanitizing. Right. If you it, maybe it's undercooked camel and also, like you said, camel milk, if they don't if, if you boil it, if you um, what's the word for what we do with milk? Uh, pasteurize. Yes. If you pasteurize it by boiling it or something like that, it's probably safe. But unfortunately, with things like camels and camel's milk, that whole area is very couched in tradition. We've always drunk camel's milk this way. We've always prepared our meat this way. And we've always been fine for a thousand years. So you Western people, you don't know what you're talking about. And they dismiss what people are saying about how you can avoid getting MERS, kind of like you had people dismissing condoms in Africa as, oh, that's just some Western devil thing. You're just trying to you, steal Church. our women. Yeah, they didn't help either. There's a lot of tradition getting in the way. And it seems like with the MERS in Saudi Arabia, there's also a problem of just they're really not handling tracking the disease and tracking how people got the disease and what they do for a living and who they may have gotten contact with because – this the the MERS thing is getting worse. Apparently, this last April there was a huge upshoot in the number of cases of of MERS, and a lot of it, like I said, was health professionals. But there was just a hell of a lot more cases. Right, and it's already been spotted in the United States. Yeah, it was, it, and it was one of those cases where someone went to Saudi Arabia to work as a contractor because apparently they just bring in a shitload of foreign nationals to do all their work for them. It's, yeah. it's like 50% of their workforce or some crazy number like that are all foreigners, despite some move they made a couple of years ago to kick out a lot of foreigners. But you get a lot of transmission that way, where if you get something like SARS in Southeast Asia, where it was just this rural village where there isn't a lot of tourist activity, okay, that's it wasn't going to spread as far. But Saudi Arabia has all these people coming in and out. And it's a lot more developed, but they're fucking up how to control it. And yeah. people are dying and it could get worse. Right. And I just, like I said, I just, I wanted to look up about, I thought I had read that MERS had actually come to the United States and everything else. So I found a Slate.com article mm -hmm. that says, one of the curious things about this new disease is that although the cases appear to be concentrated in mainly a handful of countries, the virus itself is much more widespread. Evidence of the MERS coronavirus has been found over a large swath of the territory in dromedary camels mm -hmm. to be strongly suspected of passing this virus on to people. Camels showing signs of previous infection with the virus have been found as far as Spain's Canary Islands off the northeastern coast of Africa, Tunisia, Ethiopia, Nigeria, and Kenya. Yeah. One that means this thing is starting out as, you know, oh, look, you got a nice little cold. Mm -hmm. And now it's running its course. And I'm going to put in a plug for a game here. I'm just going <laughs> to side note this here. There's a game called Plague Inc. Apparently it was really popular a couple of years ago. I okay. just found it. But it's a really, if you want to look at epidemiology, this is <laughs> a really good game for learning how it works. And your job is to create a... First, you start out with the bacteria, and then you have virus, and you get prion diseases. But as you as you get better, you can develop these other things. But it's your job to develop some form of sickness that wipes out the whole world, and that's the only way you get to upgrade to the next, you know, like from the bacteria to the virus. So it's so kind of like have to kill the world. It's the opposite of the board game pandemic, where you are a team of scientists and researchers trying to fight 
four or five diseases that are going around the world. And that kind of shows you all as well. Like you get one area where the disease kind of builds up and builds up and then explodes to related right. areas next door. And you see just how contagious and how crappy things can be. So it's kind of two sides of that same coin showing how bad these things can get right. if they get really very, very, right. yeah, because very you can... the, the word very, very, very close like, enough. Right. And like I said, I mean, this is, you get to pick how it's transmitted and you can mutate how it's transmitted and your symptoms and you can go everything from a runny nose to organ failure. <laughs> if you are interested in epidemiology and how these things happen, this is a great game to learn about it because it's yeah. very hands-on. You can play it in 20 minutes, but your job is to basically infect everybody in the world. <laughs> That's kind of fun, yeah. you know. So if you got a little bit of a, <laughs> yeah. I've had a bad day, it's phenomenal. Now, as a disclaimer, this is not like the, uh, what is it, a healing provisions disclaimer. This is the skeptic wire disclaimer. We are not saying that the smelters given camel milk to their kid is automatically going to kill the kid of the MERS virus. No. But that the magical thinking, the not understanding how science really works and just because there's something A before B doesn't mean that A causes B. All that magical thinking stuff. And, and the magical thinking of thinking that people in the Middle East and around an oasis who, well, we've always drank camel milk and we haven't had any problems. That, that kind of non-skeptical thought can be really dangerous. And all it's going to take is one mutation. All it takes is one contaminated camel, like a contaminated cow in the United States and they sell off the raw milk of that cow, that hurts a lot of people. And that's why we have science to not hurt people, hopefully. And that's yeah. that's my kind of summation of that. Just Yeah, drinking the camel yeah. milk is probably not going to give you MERS. They are buying it from reputable facilities here yeah. in the United States. They are going raw, which is dangerous, but it's less likely to have that wombat or tomb bat version of the MERS virus. Mm -hmm. But this is something that with every treatment like this, what I would call these funky, holistic <laughs> yeah. cure-alls, this panacea, you have to be aware of what's going on in the world also. Yeah. A lot of other people do drink this and they are getting sick. Or just as bad, they're drinking it and they're not actually getting better. Yeah. So that's, please don't do that. <laughs> well, speaking of things that you just don't want to do. <laughs> I don't want to talk about this. This has been a well, really, really crappy week for me for thinking that there's any hope for humanity. You've got. MERS. <laughs> MERS. Okay. Yeah. More MERS stories in the news. I mean, that's relatively minor now, but it could get worse. There's the whole Boko Haram thing where. Because they mm. don't like Western education, they kidnap over 200 girls and they're going to sell them. And that's – some other people think, oh, that's a good idea. I think girls should be selling to slavery. And I'm using a southern accent for evil purposes. But um, I, I, that just doesn't make me have a lot of faith in humanity. You have a major report comes out this week saying climate change is real. It's a problem. We need to fix it. 
we're definitive about this. Lots and lots of scientists have signed on. This is real. Here's the proof. Here's the evidence. Here's everything that can go wrong if you don't do anything now. And you still have people standing up in the Senate saying it's some liberal conspiracy to destroy God or something like that. And then the Supreme Court decides to, as I think it's... Uh, was it Borowitz? Andrew Borowitz said. You mean completely shit all over the First Amendment? Is, yeah, is that the word you're looking I, for? Well, the, the headline was something along the lines of Supreme Court decided to eradicate the reason why the country was founded in the first place. Well, <laughs> I call it as shitting on the First Amendment. And, yeah. you know, I, I'm, I'm going to use this not so lightly, but to me, Madison and Jefferson are spinning in their graves right now. Yeah. I think that they would be appalled at the Supreme Court decisions, Greece versus Galloway. Yeah. Or is it the other way around? Greece the, versus Galloway. Greece yeah. versus Galloway. So let's go back. The Greece versus Galloway is a case that has been kind of working its way up for, for a little bit. And what it is, is it was two people in the town of Greece, New York? Yes. Greece, New York. One a Jew, one an atheist. Who said... This sectarian prayer bullshit before city functions. Before... Not exactly their words, but their point, yes. <laughs> I'm going for brevity here, okay? <laughs> Was bullshit under the Establishment Clause. Yeah. And in a 5-4 to four ruling, they basically got shot down saying that historically it's always happened and therefore it's okay to have short sectarian prayers before the opening of any governmental yeah bullshit i i think the two plaintiffs kind of i guess they were trying to be really kind of nice and 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 friendly and and not being kind of extreme oh you're just an angry atheist kind of people what they were essentially asking for in the original case that led up to the supreme court was not no prayers was a policing of prayers to essentially say, keep it generic. Yeah. Keep it, okay, if you're going to pray, pray to a God or an almighty or something nice and vague like that. Let's leave the, I mean, they went as far to say, let's kind of leave the Jesus out of it. But definitely, you know, no severe prayers or anything like that. Just keep it nice and generic. Pray for peace and, and wisdom, wisdom and all, let's all get along, dogs and cats, all that kind of stuff. But, the whole point of say, of of all the uh, you know the ACLU the FFRF all those kind of people saying that well that's not a good way to do it because you don't want the government to get into the job of policing what is correct religious speech and what is incorrect religious speech right so the ACLU FFRF all their argument is in order to remain neutral, you shouldn't have it in in there at all. You Let's shouldn't just have the words in Jesus' name, Amen. Yeah. Now, Which is how it, uh, every one of those fucking things ends. And and Sorry. that's a lot of the that's a lot of the reasons that the people like Kennedy and Scalia and and Alito hid behind is basically they said, well, no, we can't tell people who are religious how to pray or not. We can't tell them the correct way to pray or not. So their solution was just to say, then let everybody pray. If they're going to be praying, then let them pray what they how they want to. I agree with the first part of that, of saying the government shouldn't get involved on how to pray, but that doesn't mean that we should get more prayer involved in government. Right. I am okay with 
have the moment of silence, pray to your God quietly in your you own know, way. Because yeah. I'm not going to tell them that they they can't. Obviously, I wish that they wouldn't, but that is yeah. me. But I'm not going to tell them that they can't. I was actually really surprised to see Anthony Kennedy side on on this because Kennedy is he's a very good jurist. Mm-hmm. Um, I I really do feel like he dropped the ball on this. He has been kind of that swing vote in almost everything. Yeah. Once again, he was again the swing vote in this one. Um, he wrote that the town of Greece does not violate the First Amendment by opening its meetings with a prayer that comports with our tradition and does not coerce participation by non-adherents. So what he's saying is, is that because they're not making somebody stand up and say, in Jesus' name, amen. I love how I always get bracy with that. Yeah. In Jesus' name. Scalia, though, to me, really is the one that took it above and beyond when he suggested that there's no harm in a little subtle pressure on those who don't choose to pray in public spaces. Isn't he the one who suggested that if people were uncomfortable with the prayer, they should just ignore it? Yes. That's like, I mean, I know this is hyperbole and I'm not, I'm not trying to kind of God, well, not Godwin's law, but kind of that way get about this. But okay. So if a black person is bothered by not being able to drink at a white water fountain, they should just ignore it. Right. No, they fight against that kind of that crap. Either the law applies to everybody equally, all religions equally, or it shouldn't be there. Which is why I loved Justice Elena Kagan said, when the citizens of this country approach their government, they only do so as Americans, not as members of one faith or another. And that means even in a partly legislative body, they should not confront government-sponsored worship that divides them along religious lines. To me, that is the entire crux of the argument. And I really feel like those other five... You know, and it's it's very obvious. It was Alito, Scalia, Roberts. Um, uh, the quiet one who never talks, Thomas. Thomas. I love Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Well, like I said, I really feel like he dropped the ball on this. I, I think with especially, uh, even someone like Kennedy, but especially like Alito and Scalia and all those, they, I know this word gets tossed around a lot recently, the last couple of years, but they come from that place of privilege well, they don't understand what it's like to be in that minority, where right. it is not just, oh, well, I'll just ignore the prayer to Jesus. Because first, no, this yeah, is let's another... put him in Dearborn, Michigan. No, and I really hope let... that Dearborn, Michigan, opens their prayers with a Muslim prayer, and somebody gets their panties in a twist over it. No, let's make them go spend the month of Ramadan in Saudi Arabia or Iran to see what it's like to be in the minority and feel that they're coerced by a government that's saying this is how you should be. Right. There was a an article in Christianity Today about someone who is saying from their Christian point of view, they're not particularly happy with this decision because a lot of it was talking about we don't want the government to get involved in prayer because that leads a lot of holiness to government. We don't want them telling us how to pray and that kind of stuff. There was this quote that I really liked that adding a prayer to the city council meeting and that it says draws upon the trappings of officialdom and the city's patronage. It essentially says, this is what the government believes. This is what your government believes this prayer to Jesus or whatever. And when you have places, I, I don't know if it's Dearborn or no, it's, it's other places. As well, there have been people who have come to give their prayers 
that have basically said the gays are trying to hurt us all. You can't let them marry. They are the reason why humanity is on the downfall. That's the reason why we have hurricanes, all that kind of stock. We're already policing in those cases. I mean, even Scalia and all and Kennedy and all them have agreed that if there is a prayer, it shouldn't be trying to evangelize to anybody or talk about hell and damnation. If that's the case, then we're already policing religious speech, already telling people how to pray or not. They're drawing the line way out there at the edge and basically saying, well, we're just going to allow all this. And you got kind of Christians like this guy, Al Bedrosian, over in Roanoke County, Virginia. Very familiar with this guy because this is where Teacher Mike is from. Aha. And the words that he says, I, to you and I, it looks very strange and very hellfire and brimstone. and That's how that whole fucking county yeah. is. The, the quote that, that I pull mainly on this is essentially when asked if he would allow Wiccans or Jews or Muslims, he's saying, you know, no, I don't think I would. And because the quote is, if we allow everything, then where do we draw the line? Right. That's the problem with the Supreme Court judgment here, because they're drawing the line way there out at the edge where the idea of the secular left is essentially saying, let's just leave religion out of it. Because me as an atheist, I don't understand why these people need to pray at a government meeting. Well, it, it, it doesn't add anything to the meeting. His, his quote that actually disturbed me more was, I think America pretty much from founding fathers on, I think we have to say more or less that we're a Christian nation with Christian ideology. If we're a Christian nation, then I would say we need to move toward our Christian heritage. Yes. Once again... And I know that people have been, there's been a lot of discussion about this. Man needs to check his fucking privilege. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was saying a few minutes ago, that these people don't understand what it's like not to be the majority. Yeah. And don't understand the pressure. The whole reason why the whole prayer school things uh, changed 30, 40 years ago is because you had prayers over the loudspeaker in Jesus' name. And the Jews, the atheists, the Muslims, everybody else was like, hey, come on. This isn't my thing. This doesn't belong in school. You got the, the Supreme Court in this case saying, well, adults can ignore that. Adults won't be indoctrinated. Yeah, but they're also still coerced by feeling that if they don't stand and pray with everybody else, they're not going to be listened to by the city council government who invited this Helen Brimstone guy. Right. And and then they feel that they are not getting their voice heard at a government meeting in the that is supposed to serve everybody. See, and it, this is one of those things that this decision that came down, it makes me wonder about, and I can't remember that crazy guy's name. So maybe you can help me out with the guy who ran the, you can run, but you can't hide ministry up in Michigan. Like mm. the rock star that's suing Rachel Maddow because Rachel Maddow quoted him. Um, it's not ringing. I, I, it, it rings a bell, but I'm not sure what. Hold on. Let me look this up. Google break! Yeehaw! So Bradley Dean. Okay. Bradley Dean actually got kicked out of some state legislature, namely because he showed up in his tracksuit <laughs> to give this prayer, but he started going on what they considered inappropriately 
about how gays are going to hell and yeah. terrorists and atheists and maybe that's you, what I was thinking when, you when know, I said that a few minutes ago. Is does he now have a legal standing to turn around and sue the government for stopping him on his legal yeah. prayer? And, uh, and to me, it's just this giant slippery slope, and we've opened up a floodgates. Yeah. Because the other side of it is, is that the Supreme Court, from what I saw, really didn't give specifics. Yeah, they just said. A short sectarian prayer was okay. What's the definition of short? Because for me, three seconds would be good enough. <laughs> yeah. We're here in Jesus' name. Amen. Go on. They bada did bing, say bing. that it couldn't be, like I said, they couldn't use a lot of damnation language, which still is vague, or that they couldn't um, evangelize, try to convert people right. in their speech. And again, that can be, I mean, the whole it's idea interpret, of... It's up to interpretation. Yeah, if you're talking about, you know, join me in prayer, let us pray in a government meeting, that's saying to participate, you have to be part of this. Right. And that's that's trying to convert people. Right. Now, a little background on me. I went to a Catholic high school. I was raised in a Jewish Catholic household. Lots Think of about guilt. that. Oh, yeah. Now, part of it was, is that even growing up, I think in my head, I always knew that I was atheist, always had those doubts and, and, and everything else. Mm -hmm. But even when I was a kid, I identified more with the Jewish faith than I did with the Christian faith or Catholic faith, or because I know some people consider them not the same. Yeah. It always made me uncomfortable. Yeah. Always made me uncomfortable. And even in the years... The couple of years that I did go to public school and we would do Christmas songs at Christmas, Babe in the Manger or Away in the Manger or yeah. whatever. Those songs sitting there in fourth grade made me uncomfortable. Yeah. And even today, if I go to an event where somebody goes, okay, let's all grab hands and pray. I'm like, uh, okay. Yeah. And I am the one who's standing there. I hold their hands because that's apparently what they need. But I'm the one there with the wide-eyed look going, please hurry up, please hurry up, please yeah. hurry up, please hurry up. You know, and I'll find somebody else and we'll be giving the same wide-eyed look to each other. And it's like, yes, comrade in arms. <laughs> so to say that just, oh, it's okay. And yeah. this subtle confusion or, or whatever un uncomfortableness or does it matter yes it does there was a lot of talk especially from the evangelicals whatever that this is a victory for freedom for religion a victory for free speech and all that and the problem is that it's not about an individual speech in this case it's about the government saying that this is the speech that we are pushing it's also the speech, speech to a closed audience yeah captive yeah. audience captive yeah. audience that was the thank you that was but the yeah exactly if you want to participate in government you have to listen to this right there's in always schools that was the whole argument that removed prayer from schools was that these kids presented a captive audience yeah there, i really there, don't get talk it about and, from like kennedy and all those kind of people of the, the argument we use maybe as, as liberals about joking about kind of things that other people might find offensive, that you don't have the right not to be offended, that's what other people are pushing in this. But again, it's not about offense. And, and it's really kind of twisting the reason for this. 
it all comes back to the idea of just because we're a majority Christian nation does not mean we are a Christian government. Right. And it's this. We're not a theocracy. You know, going back to my whole like civil rights kind of argument. If we went with majority rule on everything, we would still. I wouldn't have the right to vote. You wouldn't have the right to vote. Probably would still. Well, maybe might still have slavery, but definitely damn well would still have segregation still. Yep. Because the majority rule is comfortable in its majority rule, but that doesn't mean it's right. The same thing, like I was saying way at the beginning of this, that pissed me off about, I think it was especially Kennedy's, in his decision and in how he put through with it, that all of this is okay because it's tradition. The same argument is used for Ten Commandments plaques, Christian crosses on county seals out in California, or the cross on the mountain by the marine base in california it's tradition it's always been that way i'm godwin's lawing myself here on the civil rights thing but slavery slavery there is a tradition we had a long fucking standing tradition as human beings of slavery that does not make it right going way back to the beginning of the episode david hume the philosopher in saying that we need to be empiricists and and skeptical of something really pushed that idea of just because something is a tradition. And this is where a lot of people thought he was an atheist does not mean that it's right. We need to examine everything and say, just because we've been doing it for 200 years does not make it right. The founding fathers were not infallible and yes, they had chaplains to pray before their sessions because religion was everything that day. And, the country has changed and we it was a majority christian nation even more so back then we've had a lot more immigrants a lot of people from africa who have different religions a lot of people from uh, asia who have very different religions the growing power of atheism and all that kind of stuff i know that's that's a bad sentence the the growing the growing acceptance of atheism and and outness of atheism and all that kind of stuff has changed tradition right so i i hate that word tradition really sticks in my craw you know it's not the first time that i've disagreed obviously (laughs) with the with the supreme court i just really feel like they dropped it they've been Um, doing but i really do think that it's going to there's going to be a backlash and the supreme court is going to have to maybe not reverse itself but get very very explicit yeah. In and, their definition, And then you get to, well, we're policing re- religious speech, which is not what we're supposed to do. The government is supposed to stay out of it. And that's the that's why there's this separation of church and state. That's why the Baptists wanted separation of church and state back in the 1700s. They didn't want the government telling them how to pray. They wanted this. Right. And now the Southern Evangelical Baptists... They want the government to be all about religion, their religion. You know, and there was a recent article in the New York Times that when you read this, you kind of go, this whole decision makes sense, even though I don't like it. But they looked at several hundred First Amendment speech decisions. And what they found is, is that the political leanings of the justice leaned towards how they actually voted when it came to a liberal speaker versus a conservative speaker. So if the free speech was about, say, in this case, a prayer, the conservative judges, which more likely to approve that than, say, 
free speech about flag burning a flag burning exactly that's a great example just bothers me i I it's the the privilege right from that point of view saying well i'm i mean that's the headline of the article essentially i'm going to agree with free speech that i agree with and i'm going to try to knock down free speech that i don't agree with right so there was a study and it, it was done by several political scientists um, several universities, they looked at 4,519 votes in 516 cases since 1953 to 2011. So not just the current court. Not yeah. just the current court. And like Sam Alito sided with conservatives over 50% of the time and with liberals approximately 10%. John Paul Stevens, who seemed to be obviously not a current, I don't believe he's a current judge. He might be. No. No, I don't think so. He cited liberally over 60%, but he also cited conservatively 50%. So I really kind of think that he looked at it as speech. You know, let's there, look there at There was it. still a bias on the liberal side, but it was not as uh, pronounced. Right. Because Souter, Breyer, and Ginsburg, who were the ones that they listed that had the, the liberal bias... Breyer was probably within only a couple of percentage points. Mm-hmm. Souter was 10 percentage points. Ginsburg was 15. And John Paul Stevens was 20, 15 to 20%. Where on the conservative side, side it seems there's like... There's these huge gaps it's like of like 20% to 60%. Points. Yeah. You know. Scary. It informs that cognitive bias of we're going to vote the way that we believe. We Yeah, it, the, there are a lot of articles talking about how the decision was split almost exactly on religious lines. And I forgot about this fact that essentially five of the justices are Catholics and three of them are Jews. That's a hell of a lot of Catholics for a, you know, a country that's got plenty of Protestants, let alone, right. hey, how about a Muslim or an atheist on there? But that's another conversation. Essentially, five of the Catholics voted on the conservative side, the three Jews and the liberal Catholic, I can't remember which one that is, voted on the dissent side. Right. So it just split right down the middle religiously. And you can see it in these kind of conservative, I am a conservative and I agree with religious speech, so I am going to vote in favor of this, thinking that it's a free speech side of things where they would probably not the same say the same thing about someone's free speech to talk in a city council meeting about uh tree hugging i know that's a horrible example but that whole kind of it would be a liberal free speech in a city council environment or something like that and there's there's a great quote here from erwin chemerinsky the dean of the law school at university Uh, California, Irvine, Mm -hmm. he says, because it offers an explanation of justice's behavior in First Amendment cases and shows how much justice's ideology influences the speech they are willing to protect. But he also added that it's possible to sort out the votes in other ways. For example, the Roberts Court has been very pro-speech, except when institutional interests of the government are at issue. He said, the court has, he said, protected hateful speech at military funerals, allowed the sale of violent video games to minors, struck down campaign fi- campaign finance laws, but it ruled against whistleblower, student expression of a pro-drug message, prisoners, and human rights activists. So, yeah. you, you got to imagine. The funny thing is, is that Justice Scalia was in the majority every time. Mm-hmm. 
and ends with that little yeah. factoid. You got to wonder if their vote this way because of their kind of their their in-group bias of I agree with this speech or I don't agree with this. Same thing could happen with, I'm surprised, I mean, it did probably happen quite a lot with the whole DOMA case, but there was no wiggle room on that. But sexual harassment, lawsuits, women's rights, abortion rights, that kind of thing, a lot of that is going to, falls along the same lines. And everybody kind of remembers this every four years when they have a presidential election. But as important as the president is in all the legislation he or she puts forward or the tone they set for the country, like just because Barack Obama got elected, he set a different tone and got a fucking Nobel Peace Prize. It is so much more important on who they nominate to the Supreme Court because that as we've seen, we're still being affected by George W. Bush's decisions to put Roberts and Alito into major positions at the head of the All court. Right. And we do have several justices that will be retiring soon. Yeah. Justice Ginsburg's health hasn't been that great. And she's, she's on the conservative side? No, she's on the liberal side. Okay. So we're not a political podcast, but go Hillary 2016, please. <laughs> or someone, someone who's so, not a crazy Bible basher. It'll be interesting. Um, yeah. We do have midterm elections coming up. Yeah. And so that kind of kind of sets the tone for the next two years when we start looking at the next president and the yeah. next set of, of Senate and Who they're willing House, to approve and stuff like that. Yeah. Everything else. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah, we started out this discussion with me kind of saying that this week and especially this decision really kind of... Depresses us. Plagued my kind of sense of humanity and fun and all that i think maybe next week or or whatever we just need to do like yay happy science good news stories because this was a really sad week yeah <laughs> and i completely agree with that we will hopefully next week we'll have yay stories or, or <laughs> so do you think we learned anything this week donna i think that we learned something we learned that David Hume was a philosopher and an anthropologist, but he really wasn't that great at either. It's still <laughs> his birthday, so happy birthday, and continue plaguing anthropology and philosophy majors. <laughs> we learned that raw camel's milk, along with hyperbaric therapy, are cures for autism here in San Antonio by a couple who cured their son and now sell these products in their high-end oak couture shop in snobby part of san antonio we I also I, learned i guess that they probably also were selling these products before they quote unquote cured their son so that's probably why they started it in the first place we don't know they, that they didn't have a road to damascus moment probably <laughs> we also learned that raw camel's milk might be a transmission from mers but that because a correlation does not imply causation this does not mean that kids in san antonio will get mers from drinking raw camel's milk all we know is that raw camel's milk is bad. Okay. <laughs> Harpo, were you trying to say MERS just a second ago? I think she was. She was going, MERS. MERS. <laughs> Green, Green versus Galloway decided that the government. Hold, hold on, Greece. Greece versus Galloway decided that the government can open meetings with a short, which hasn't been defined, sectarian which means it could be any of the 437 different denominations of christianity <laughs> prayers unfortunately this decision is too sad to make jokes about so we'll have a short moment of silence for the establishment clause which has been gutted by this decision harpo doesn't like greece versus galloway either right 
And now Greg is going to tell me why he cut so many of my wonderful rants out of tonight's episode, because apparently we don't know how long the show ran. So I turn it over to you, Greg. Well, I learned this episode to be better about saving my template for the show, because when I edit the show, sometimes I'll up its speed to like speed times a half so I can listen to us faster and just edit quickly. Um, I saved the template for this recording at 1.792 normal speed. So that's why I have no idea how long the episode is. Because according to this, we have three hours worth of material. <laughs> wow. So it's it's nowhere near that. It's probably an hour and a half or so. Um, I, I just basically screwed up and I looked down. I was like, we can't have been recording that long. So, yeah, my... Um, I have no idea how long this episode is going to be because cause I'm a bit of an idiot and I fucked up. But I, 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 I learn and try to be better and no one is going to make me pray to make that happen. Damn it, Supreme no. Court. <laughs> but I guess that's it. Um, yeah, we'll try to be less angry ranty next week, I guess. Actually, I don't think we were really angry ranty as much as we were just sad disappointed yeah you know? it's it's just not a good no no not, not a so good much. week and with that i guess we're gonna say goodbye yeah bye, bye. <laughs> <laughs> i win i was able to hold it in longer that's what she said, she said. <laughs> i have no idea what that means either <laughs> Skeptic Wire podcast theme music is by Oscar Lawn with guest mandolin by Greg Perrine. If you've enjoyed listening to The Skeptic Wire, leave a review on iTunes or leave us a voice message via the Podposted app for iPhone. Friend us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at The Skeptic Wire. Follow our blog at skepticwire.blogspot.com or send us an email, skepticwire at gmail.com. You've been listening to The Skeptic Wire. 